You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. Multiple reasons. We got the other Italian in the room. Ashley, Ashley Loria Golden. Oh my gosh, I should not mess that up. Why? Multiple reasons. Three reasons I can think of. Georgetown. We went to Georgetown together. Second, she's been on the podcast before. She was representing her all of her background in Georgia with mitigation and as a paramedic and as a deputy director for one of the counties out there and planning and all this other stuff that she was doing. And now, most importantly, most importantly, I would say, we have grabbed her. That sounds super weird. We have, we're super lucky to have Ashley working with us here at Doberman. That was so weird uh, to introduce that, that way, but we're super excited because obviously she has a ton of uh, really great um, background experiences and competencies, and she's bringing a ton of Doberman working with us in planning and mitigation. And really, we're going to utilize her help with training as well because she's a lot of background there. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm so happy to be back. And that's okay. My name is literally a mouthful. And as long as you don't call me Laura Ashley, that's yes, gotten that my entire life of why do you have two first names? I don't. It's an Italian <laughs> last name. Two names. <laughs> well, that like, no joke. I say your name like 50 times a week as we're talking to like clients or as we're working through different projects. So there's like, there's truly no excuse. Um, but I will say we are still super excited that you're uh, working with us and you're coming back on the show to be able to talk about some of your recent projects, uh, things that are happening out there in Georgia. You and I were just on a very fun uh, meeting with uh, with a county, um, and they, they actually brought up a concern that at the time I was like, okay, like I had to address it pretty seriously, but maybe you and I can talk about this um, because you and I both understand different sides of the spectrum of both working for government and clients or um, consultants coming in and talking. And now that we're in the private sector, how do we differentiate ourselves from like that DC perspective of just oh, money, money hungry, like cookie cutter 
to like, hey, we're, we're emergency managers. We want to help, but we are also for profit. And how do we ba- balance that relationship? So maybe we can talk about that. But my very first question to you, I'm going to call you out here a little bit. Are we LinkedIn official yet? We are. We are LinkedIn <laughs> official. We have been LinkedIn official for at least a couple of days now. So I finally okay, that makes me feel better. Okay. Add it. So we are LinkedIn <laughs> official. That's awesome. Um, okay. So now that you're heading over plans and we're trying to balance this relationship, I guess that's like a, a really good place to start. A lot of emergency managers are, are local here. They're trying to get things done in-house, obviously, if they can, but you can't get everything done. How do you find a good consultant or a good private emergency management group? And now that you're in the private sector, what do you think some things that we should be aware of as we are, we're approaching people? Well, if you want to find a good consulting group, you should Google Doberman EMG, but (laughs) that's your starting point. But besides that, that is an excellent question because it is really hard. When I was working as a local deputy emergency manager, you know, there's tons of groups that approach you and it's a lot to wade through, but you really want to start at the local level. Do your own homework. Know what you're looking for. Know what is your budget. If you're doing it over the course of a span of a few years, know your projected budget. Know how much you can bring in to bring in outside help to go through it with you. And then make your own checklist of your priorities. Because once you go through and know what your top tier need is down to your lower tier need, reach out to you or you know the internet is a wonderful repository LinkedIn other things to see what groups offer but you know they're scalable if you need something that covers your whole county like a local emergency operations plan you know to something very small like a specific annex you need to make that clear because then you can find the consulting group that has the best background in dealing with that specific type of work yeah I think that's uh that's the right call um for sure one of the comments that we worked with, for example, in that meeting, uh, just for everybody else's situational awareness, it basically said the short, polite version would be, you can't possibly understand our problems because you're not from here. And um, the, the, the guy in-house, even though he's literally a team of one, uh, should be able to do everything. And so I, I think there's like this call out of uh, a recognition. And, you know, we were on a, a Facebook chain uh, where everybody's giving their different ideas of how to avoid consultants. Again, there's a stigma of like, you know, if you hire a private group, they're, they're just going to give you cookie cutter. Well, that's, that's one way Doberman is trying to stand out of like, hey, we'll call you out if you think that we're just trying to do that. And we definitely did in that meeting. Um, but I think there's also this, I think... I think both things can be true at the same time. The local emergency manager will be most invested in helping out the community because he's there every day or she's there every day. But it is an inaccurate assessment, or I'd rather say the the other truth would be the consultancy that's coming in there, that the group, especially ours, that has GIS capabilities, that has a that has a team behind it who come from a background of response and, and planning who actually knows how to do this because we were the government side. Um, we can actually do it right. So most invested still do it right. And the way that happens is we, we pair the analytics, we pair all the, the team, we pair with all of our experience and training with the local. If you have a consultant group who's just saying, say, Hey, give us two months. We'll come back to you and you'll have your plan. It's probably going to be terrible. But our big thing is that we're working with people and we're trying to get that done. So 
kind of a comes off as kind of a pitch on this uh, show. It's really not meant to be a pitch, but that's what that's the things you should look for. Um, but budget is a big deal. Budget's a big deal for a a company like me. I you know we hired Ashley, who's fantastic, but we still have to pay you. We have to pay you something reasonable, right? Um, what what? Wait 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 wait! I have something for this. Wait for it. Wait for it. There we go. I should have done this at the beginning of the show. Um, but like seriously, like what are some things, again, this is about education. If you can't hire a group to do that, how, how do you prioritize and how do you keep moving, moving the needle forward? So I think a big thing to remember, you know, for emergency managers is that you can't always do it all on your own or you can't do it all alone. And sometimes you just need a fresh pair of eyes. So that's absolutely where a good consultant group can come in. Like you said, one that's going to turn over a plan to you that they're going to work with you step by step and get your personal input on, not just, you know, spit out a cookie cutter plan. But if you can't take that outside help and bring it in for budget reasons, work with your other departments, work with your other agencies. You know, you're gonna have to be including some of their capabilities in there anyway, depending on what you're writing about and really have them walk through it with you. You know, you're already all having to work together to build this, get their input, not just for their section, but on all of it, you know, leverage those around you um, in a different way that than you may have before with just writing down their little section, have them be plan writers with you. You can absolutely bring them in if you're working on an LEOP, you know, local emergency operations plan. Have your roads and bridges, have your public safety, have your planning department step, you know, step in with you and, and bring in those groups that are already, you know, getting paid by your overall budget to start doing work with you. And that's going to make your most comprehensive plan anyway, because then everyone is going to be really clear on their goals. Don't just take their information and their sound bites, really make them go through the process with you. Yeah. Speaking of process, uh, we're segueing a little bit. In fact, wait, before I do that, because like, I'm like the ultimate, like all over the place guy right now. Um, I, I hear a lot of chatter. Or I hear a lot of people suggest don't go with X group, go with your local university, get a student to be an intern to write your plan. What do you think the pros and cons are there? I definitely have pros and cons in my head, but I'm just curious what you think about that. So actually, where I worked previously at the local level, we universities where they were able to give us hey, an intern for a semester to come in. Oh, did it just cut out? Yeah, be cut out for me? a second. Okay. Yep. Can Amen? Can you edit this and start Ashley at um, what we do at the local or what we did in my last job? So where I worked previously at the local level, we actually had a working relationship with one of our large local universities to be able to have an intern come in with and intern with us, not just to plan right, but to be able to see how things go day to day in an emergency management agency, which was awesome. But part of their deal with being able to do that because it was an unpaid internship was to produce deliverables. So they then were tasked with helping us write plans. So we actually had this intern help us update our mass care, mass sheltering plan. And it was great because it took a lot of that initial template search. You know, we had an overall template, but doing some of the template updates, those just kind of organizational pieces, it took that away and took it off our plate so we could focus on other things. Um, but the hard part comes in with just making sure that your intern is on your same timetable because they may have a timetable based off of their semester, their semester breaks, 
you know, if they're in a school situation, they may have a completely different schedule than what you're expecting them to have. And um, ours did an excellent job. I wanna clarify that. He did a wonderful job, worked incredibly hard, did a ton of self-research, but you just kind of have to remember they are a student. So they may not have a lot of real world experience to vet some of these things that they're using as example templates, especially if you're starting from the ground up where you may then have to go back in and read it and make it clear, okay, this may have worked for this community, but this is not how our community does it. So it's a great tool, but you're still gonna have to put in a lot of provider input when you're working with a student because they're just still newer to the field. So depending on what your need is, it could be a great way to, to get that plan developed, but you're also still gonna really have to help and handhold on parts of it because they're not gonna have necessarily depending on their background, the operational experience to see what looks great in a plan versus what will actually be able to be built out in real world. I'll definitely say that uh, my first plan had a lot of red in it from my boss, just going through and just, you know, teaching me essentially. Um, I'm grateful for that, uh, that he did that. Um, there are three stages of competency that I see uh, in general. And, and, and I think this could apply to any career field, but it really applies to, to us as well. Um, because this field is naturally full of highly passionate people. When you get into the field and you're learning, you're super passionate. Um, and you're that, that fires is really, really strong, but it's like, it's on, it's off. It's like super passionate. Okay. Super passionate. And then, but like, but that doesn't really do like the cook really well. Right. And, um, sometimes that incompetency or that lack of experience that really shows through despite the passion, then you get the second group, which is totally avoidable, but a lot of people get stuck in here is you've seen a little bit of success. You've had a little bit of experience and now you're super arrogant because you've learned two or three things. You're unteachable. You know, you can't, you can't really move forward in that process. If you can move beyond that. And like, like I said, most people get, go through that process. I'm going to say that I didn't, but I probably definitely did. Um, <laughs> you get to this point where you get excited again, you get that passion. Now you have a ton of experience and like, now you have confidence. You don't feel the need to like blast all the time of that, that passion. But at the same time, you can walk in and get the job done and, Luckily for us, like we've been able to find a lot of good people here at Doberman who like have that ton of experience. And so that's what I look at when I think of interns or when I think of college students is if you want to blast of heat, somebody who's super passionate, great, but you're still going to have to like manage that cook, add in all the other ingredients. And so it doesn't get burned. Maybe you want the sear on the steak, whatever. I'm getting a lot of cooking analogies. Mostly hungry. <laughs> barbecue in Georgia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really good call out there. I mean, our company has also thought about internships. Um, you know, we're in St. Louis over here, and um, we have offices now in St. Louis, L.A., and Georgia. And so it's like, okay, like, what? How can we leverage the the local community? But I think there will be a lot of hand holding if we do that. And so that would be our call out, probably to other people, is if you have the time to be able to train somebody, great. If you don't, then it's probably just going to be a burden. Um, okay, so now that we're officially moving on to the next topic, let's talk about your job here at Doberman, uh, some of the recent projects you're, you're focusing on, and uh, you know, moving, moving that needle forward. So yeah, give us, give us an update. Give uh, the crowd the update, I guess. 
So it's a very exciting time getting fully started and jumping right in. So a lot of what we've been working Oh, wait for it. Nope, nope, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> get that sound bite. Gotta have the sound bite. Uh, but uh, we are heavily focusing on hazard mitigation, which is huge for me because I am um, a hazard mitigation nerd. I was very fortunate to spend some time working in hazard mitigation for the state here in Georgia. So I fully believe the good news of hazmat, as I like to call it. And so to be able to now start building the opportunity to work with local communities on updating their hazard mitigation plans, as well as if they have any interest in hazard mitigation projects. Um, so things like getting generators for critical facilities, tornado warning sirens, tornado safe rooms, different flood mitigation projects, you know, the whole slew of what's covered under that FEMA umbrella, be able to help communities really delve into that and better build up their mitigation, you know, better build up their resiliency and their future protections against disasters, along with doing some other plans, working on some local emergency operations plans for communities and then on the side still helping with some of the podcast stuff and some social media outreach which is a lot of fun as well so it's all been a lot of really fun and a lot of really good things that i enjoy you made me uh feel like i was talking to um somebody about like um like the role of a mom because like hey what does a mom do and then like you start naming off like a hundred different roles and responsibilities and I'm like, hey, Ashley, what do you do? You're like, oh, I do 40 different things because we're a small company. And, um, you know, you've been helping. Mom, out. So I do do 400 different things. Yes. And you're a mom. So like, yeah, you know, so um, I, I, I had this. Uh, so Ashley uh, knows um, Margaret Larson, who was on the show. Um, we all went to school together. And I was telling her that we need to do an episode about how how a mom is the perfect emergency manager and like, cause wearing all the different hats. And we, we seriously need to do that for next May. I think we should have all the moms that associate with Doberman or who's been on the show come on and just be like, Hey, I saved my kid's life 40 times a day, every day, you know, don't put that in your mouth, whatever, you know, dads do that too, but that'd be kind of a cool call out of like cross sector, you know, how one, one thing applies to the other thing. But in terms of wearing lots of hats, yeah, it was cool because we're like, hey, can you take over planning for Doberman essentially? And let's focus on hazard mitigation. Our company, Disaster Tough, that's kind of what Disaster Tough's all, be, all, all about, right? Like stopping uh, a problem from becoming a true crisis. And, um, you know, almost immediately, small company, we, uh, you know, somebody reached out for a different type of emergency plan and, now here we are. We're having you work on multiple different stuff, so that's pretty exciting um, for you to work on. Uh, moving forward, though, you know Doberman is really looking to um, kind of change. I want to say change the perception, but solidify the perception of emergency managers. I think that's like our big thing here. Like, how do we actually help people instead of writing the plans and saying good luck? I hopefully you don't have a problem. Uh, we're really integrated with uh, those people, and so. Um, yeah, I think we talked about this last time on the show, but you're the first person outside of my wife that I called and, 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 and talked about this idea, um, responding to a tornado. And so it's just like kind of cool to, to fast forward, what, four years, five years and, um, uh, see this happen. So, um, exciting that you're on with us, exciting that you're, you're moving forward. If you were going to 
name the top three things that you want to happen with Doberman or yourself or emergency management in general for 2022. I'm kind of throwing this at you at a curveball. What would you like to see? What were some of the things that you'd like to see our field do besides hiring Doberman on everything? <laughs> that is a fantastic question. And before I get to that question, I just have to circle back and give a shout out to uh, Maggie from our Georgetown class because her episode was so impactful to me as a new mom at the time that it came out. She is awesome. So I would love for us to be able to do a disaster tough moms or emergency momagers. Mother's Day. <laughs> emergency momagers. Yes, that That's is totally what I call point. myself now. <laughs> emergency momager. I would love to do that and have her back because she's awesome. And she gave through that episode a lot of encouragement to me when I was in a transition period. So awesome. Um, man, for 2022, I would one love us to finally be getting on the back end of the pandemic. I think all of us definitely have quite a bit of pandemic exhaustion. So we would love to be able to, for the field as a whole, be able to concentrate again on more than just COVID-19. You know, obviously we got to get through it safely and effectively, but I think for everybody and, you know, just for how, for lack of a better term, burned out so many of us are, it would be, you know, just hugely helpful from the, the mental toll side to be finally getting on a more stable upswing. Um, but I would really love, <laughs> love for us just to, yes. <laughs> I think we're, yes. I think that's, I think everybody feels the same way. So like, yeah, everybody's going, yes, yes, definitely. Yes. Um, but I would love for us, you know, to continue to grow, but really to delve into that mission of helping the local community. I would love through all this that, you know, that we're working on individually as a company and then just for the field itself for emergency managers. And I know it's been brought up on the show before, but just to keep being elevated in the public consciousness and to really be better understood where we can continue to be able to get the ear, you know, for folks at every level of the rest of our stakeholders to be given that legitimacy to do what needs to be done. Because I feel like for so many emergency managers, you know, they have these fantastic ideas and so much growth and in all the different, you know, disaster cycles and preparedness cycles and every, you know, aspect of emergency management. But it's working with those other stakeholders and working within the confines of their communities that kind of hold them back. And, you know, just to be able to still push through and be able to do more of those things, to, to really be able to have the field say, we've finally gotten away from saying this is how we've always done it and it's going to be okay. Because that's been true in my life across working in public safety emergency services, working in emergency management, that unfortunately it always seems to take something like COVID like a 9-11, like Hurricane Katrina, something that just cuts outside of the norm for us to really step back and be able to say like, well, maybe we need to do it differently, but to be able to get on the front side of that. And, you know, a lot of that does come through hazard mitigation and not just in the FEMA sense with the projects, but the whole concept of mitigation, of doing something beforehand, not just after the fact. That would be my biggest thing for the field is just to be able to get out in front and not keep playing catch up. Yeah, you just um, you just hit on the biggest pet pin uh the the biggest pain point that we have to deal with right like well, actually the two biggest pain points is the legitimacy and really that's on us and then like getting a getting ahead uh technologies uh are definitely underutilized um the whole cookie cutter the the, the problem the, my big big gripe with fema as a former fema guy i literally have an award you know like just chilling in the back here um is that Everyone tries to put it in the box of FEMA, but FEMA's FEMA's role is going to be really, really blunt here. They're basically the IRS of disasters. They're there for money and they're there to coordinate 
making sure all the resources are there for other people to do their actual job. And if you try to do it the way they want to do it, then you become the IRS of disaster. But that's, that's, that doesn't work at the local level because you are actually working directly with the Red Cross to stand up that shelter. You're trying to get those preliminary damage assessments done. You're, you're trying to do the evacuation in coordination with the sheriff's department. And so like all locals are, all disasters are local. Locals should really be telling FEMA and or, you know, the biggest spectrum, hey, we're de dealing with the impact here. This is how you need to be able to work with us so that we are able to save and sustain life. And unfortunately, I think it's kind of flip-flopped right now because the title Federal Emergency Management Agency makes everybody think, oh, it, they're the ones who are, who are the best. And quite frankly, uh, they're, not, they're not always suited uh, to, to be able to understand the needs of the local level. So yeah, just really interesting thought process there. Gosh, you're, you make me talk about that forever. Um, <laughs> In terms of us changing our perce uh, perception, you know, we definitely have to add legitimacy to that. What do you think emergency managers who are like, yes, every politician or every PhD or every boss I have who's not in this thing who gave me this job isn't understanding what I'm trying to do? What would be some of your advice to them? That's a great question because that really has been an issue across all the different places that I've worked. And it's just, Sometimes it honestly comes down to that community being impacted by something before you're able to move the needle at all. And that's terrible because that should not be the time that those, you know, light bulb moments should be happening. They should be happening well before you get to that point. But I think a lot of humble yourself, reach out and be really intentional with you know, your most, not vocal opponents, because that puts too much of an antagonistic spin on it. But if you're an emergency manager, or you're in a position where you do rely heavily on another agency, another department, you know, whoever does your finance, your budget, really make it your prerogative to get into the weeds with the ones who are having trouble understanding, you know, ask them to come sit on in on different meetings with you with other stakeholders, you know, bring them to your table, don't just keep going to their table, bring them to your table, bring them in when you're doing different training exercises, whether it's just a small scale with some of your other agencies, you know, have them see firsthand in these, you know, kind of free opportunities to see more of what you do so that they can see bigger picture how investing in what you're saying is really gonna make a difference. Cause it's, you know, that perception shift can be so, so difficult. But if you can start chipping away with little things where they're getting a better idea of what you're doing, you know, you're not just the great Mr. Oz behind the curtain but you're being very transparent in what you're doing and how it makes an impact, that really, really helps. Or, you know, if it's, if you're working with a board of commissioners and, and you have friends who happen to live in a commissioner's district and, and they're willing to reach out on your behalf and do some of that kind of behind the scenes lobbying on different projects you want to work on, that can make a big difference too. Sometimes it takes that outside source also reaching out for them to see, hey, it's more than just what, you know, my emergency manager is saying, I get it now. Other people are, are questioning it too. Now I kind of see, you know, the bigger scope of where it applies. So it's, it's hard. There's no perfect answer to that. And I wish there was, because it affects all of us in emergency management. Yeah, it's brutal to deal with. I, I would say that um, looking at job postings before, I could tell if a community was looking to hire an emergency manager for the purpose of trying to identify somebody to blame but that's really the minority. And most people hire an emergency manager because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And they have no idea what they do. And so like my call out, one of my many call outs is, hey, why did you hire me? 
You know, like, what do you want? And like, oh, I never wanted a disaster. Okay, well then start taking some of my suggestions. Or I hired you because I'm supposed to have an emergency management. Honestly, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing. And just have a very honest conversation of saying, let me give you like what is best practice. And when you use words like best practice and you don't use word like preparedness, you use words like readiness, then like you're changing this mindset from a doomsday prepper of things that never happened to, hey, I'm a logical person. This is a community. This is like a, this is a standard thing. And yeah, I, I think we have to fight that quite a bit. I also think um, Doberman letting the cat out of the bag here a little bit. If people check out the readiness lab and in, in 2022, we're going to be addressing this directly not just from consultants perspective, obviously, but from the subject matter expert perspective of how do we build legitimacy into our field? So whether you're working with us, for us, or against us, at least you can be known as somebody in a respected field who cares, who has that passion, but some intelligence behind there too. So uh, good, good call outs for that. Um, looking at the time, you know, it's been just over a year since we had you on the podcast, a lot of changes. Um, including your now your new mom. In fact, you were a mom last time you came on. No, no, you were pregnant when you came on. So yeah, you're definitely a mom now. Uh, you know, you're living the dream. You're working for us. Lots of changes. You talked about upcoming whatever. Um, if it's a while before we have you on the show again or not, what would be your advice to emergency managers in the field? Keep up the good work. I don't think that they've heard that enough over the course of the last, you know, almost two years at this point that it's a, it's a wonderful field. It is a rewarding field, but it can be a really difficult field. So just, you know, you are doing good work, not just like, oh, check plus you did this and we needed this completed, but you're doing important work. You're doing good for your community. So just stay the course, hang in there, you know, and keep doing what you're doing because it is making a difference. Mic drop quote moment. Um, that's what's going to be on the quote. So now we know, uh, fantastic. Ashley, thanks again for coming on the show, uh, helping me out this week. Also, thank you so much for helping out behind the scenes of the podcast with all of our guests. I'm sure all of our guests are very grateful for all your help there. Thank you for being an emergency momager. Um, by the way, awesome phrase that has to be like on a t-shirt somewhere. Um, you heard it here first. That's my copyright. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to get royalty for the rest of her life on this. Um, and also, I'm so glad you're part of Doberman. Um, I've, said, I've said it quietly to you several times. I'm going to say it publicly. Uh, we're very lucky to have you. Our company just got a lot stronger with you being a part of our team. Um, and, um, you know, today's been not, not really supposed to be a sales pitch, but also kind of a sales pitch. If you want to work at Doberman or work with Doberman, now you know that we have an excellent emergency planner with us who has also response and paramedic and training background and all these other things, all these capabilities that you bring with you. And we're really, really lucky. I'm so glad we went to Georgetown together and um, hounded you for years to work with Doberman. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you again for that. So. Well, thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to be on this side of the screen and to get to chat on Disaster Tough. So thank you for everything and for having the faith in me too. So it's been yeah. good. It's, been a good it's easy. You're smart. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, everybody, I'm going to do my song and dance moment. If you like this episode, if you learned something, you should give us that five-star rating and subscribe. Please give us that five-star rating. I just want to see how many people like this episode. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. If you have a question, a comment, a concern, whatever you want for our team, for Doberman, 
or for this episode, if you have a question for Ashley, the best way to do that is to reach out to us on social media. Make sure you check out Disaster Tough. Make sure you check out Doberman. And now check out the Readiness Lab. We have some other podcasts on there. We're really excited to bring those on uh, onto our uh, umbrella, if you will. So we'll, we'll check that out and we'll see you next week. <laughs>